0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See bball B ball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly.
2: Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 25. Brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K-Ben. How you doing, brother?
1: Man, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. I do appreciate you you asking, of course. But now it's a fantastic day here in the wonderful area of uh, Chicago, Illinois. Getting ready, Eagles against the Giants, Mike. I saw today. ESPN has a playoff probability calculator, which uh, er- coming every week into the season calculates the leverage, the playoff leverage of a certain game. So how uh, how many percentage points? of likelihood a team makes the playoffs are at stake if they win or they lose. The Eagles are the highest in the NFC mm. this week with 27%. So really what you're looking at is like, like obviously it's not split right down the middle. you are talking about like a 14 point increase in playoff percentage likelihood if they win against the Giants and a 13% decrease if they lose. Wow. It is worth noting the Eagles are still top five-ish in the NFC in terms of like playoff likelihood percentage. It's the Rams- and then the Saints, I feel like, and then a couple Chicago, maybe or whatever. Yeah. The Giants are bottom five and will go down to bottom three with a loss. So Philly's already like, you know, if Philly loses, they're still more likely to make the playoffs than the Giants. Yeah. You know, like even if that's the case, but there's a lot of uh, playoff leverage at stake 27% uh, in this game. It's a big figure. So it's a big one.
2: It's yeah. a big one. Yeah, it's definitely an important game. We got ourselves a two and three versus one and four showdown in what could, as you just laid out potentially be a make or break game for the eagles and the one thing that stood out as i researched this game is that the the eagles and the giants sit like neatly next to each other in turnover margin 28th and 27th worst respectively and it tells you a little why both teams have gotten to this point and neither has protected the ball really well and conversely they're not taking it away either the giants have turned it over eight times in five games only taken it away five times. The Eagles have turned it over nine times, taken it away five times. You feel like something has to give there. And when we talk about teams that are playing sloppy, often penalties are part of that. And it's really not you know, for the Giants, but it certainly is for the Eagles, which is concerning. Mm-hmm. And just to contextualize that talking point, the Eagles are fourth worst in penalties per game and penalty yards per game. And if you wonder why drivers are stalling, it's that right there. You can point to that. So the Eagles aren't winning the turnover battle. They're decimating themselves with penalties. They have only 16 explosive plays this year, which ranks on the bottom half of the league. They've given up 21 explosive plays, which ranks in the bottom half. They aren't doing themselves any favors. They aren't finding ways to open up this offense enough. And that's why we're in this predicament. And look, just as an aside, People can miss me with the Eagles abandon the run game nonsense. Game script dictates a lot of that. You have an incredibly banged up running back group. If you remove fourth quarter due to catch up situations, their run pass balance on first and 10 is 56 That's only 5% higher than the league average. That's not some cataclysmic shift. And to be honest, passing as bimodal as it is on first down is still more efficient and a more effective way to move the football. OK, Ben, threw a lot at you there. Uh, as you can tell, I'm on the, I'm on the verge of this game and we talked about this earlier in the week about how this was the tipping point game that would indicate whether or not it's time to panic. You did a good job of illustrating that at the top. Are you feeling that? Are you really starting to feel that pressure as we enter this week six game?
1: Did you did you say bimodal? Yeah, that was that uh, was such a casual bimodal drop. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that was so I was so impressed when that happened. I was like, wow, wow, wow. You know who
2: hit me up with that? It was uh, it was Sunset Shaz. It was Shaz that hit me up with that, and I had to Google it, and I was like, oh. Passing is bimodal.
1: Sunset is one of the best followers of all time because I never know what he's saying, but I always know he's making somebody else feel bad. And I'm like, oh boy, Sunset, way to get him.
2: I've had to tell him four or five times talk to me like I'm five. I'm, th- I'm no ego, right. talk to me like I'm five.
1: You uh, you won't well understand this reference, but first you tell him to talk to you like you're, you're a 10 year old, and then you tell him to talk to you like you're five year old because the 10 year old explanation also didn't work. It was still too <laughs> advanced. Uh, exactly. That's, that's the office. But. Uh, salient point yes big one uh it's quite a big game obviously you know i just brought up the leverage point the 27 percentage points a divisional game makes it a little bit more serious but also mike you don't want to be scrambling as a two and four team in london against the jaguars Oh yeah, you know like it, that that is that's an opportunity to win a big one uh neutral site against a really good team kind of like evens the odds there a little bit Philadelphia defense, I think, matches up very nicely against what Jacksonville does on offense. Uh, looks like they're not going to be having Leonard Fournette healthy either. Uh, Yeldon's been playing very well for them, however, in backup snaps anyway. So really, how much does that matter? Uh, the, the, the point being, if you are desperate in London, where Jacksonville's played all the time, coming into that big stretch against Jacksonville, you have Carolina, you have Dallas, you pick up I think the Saints pretty quickly there in that stretch as well. You know, it's just a huge stretch. You don't want to be on your last druthers there. Hmm. Like, you don't want to call this a tune-up game because the Eagles have lost two in a row. But with the way they've lost two in the row, two in a row, playing pretty well for stretches, playing poorly for other stretches, shooting themselves in the foot in crucial situations. This is a bit of a tune-up game in the sense of, okay, do what you've been doing well. Just finish. Just get to the end. Just, just slam the door shut. Yeah. Win the game. And, and kind of get that confidence back. Like, yeah, we are a good team. We are the Philadelphia Eagles. We are very talented. Have some confidence going into Jacksonville. Obviously, a long week will help going in against the Jaguars. I think also the potential for adding personnel or running back could be helpful coming into Jacksonville. But you just don't want to be uh, on a three-game losing streak going up against that defense. That's a troubling situation. So it's a big get-right so we can fight. We can we can have a, a good fight against Jacksonville on that Sunday London game.
2: Totally agree. And if you were to look at this Giants game, and you know we talked about this before the show. If you were to look at this game and, and point to one thing where we could get burned and it could hurt us in this game, what would it be?
1: Oh man, <laughs> let me say this. I was so pissed off when I saw that Odell Beckham spot uh, last week with Jacina Anderson on uh, on ESPN. Where I, I, Mike, did you see the clips from this? No. Oh, okay, so I watched it live. I, you probably saw just the quotes going around. But, you know, Odell was asked, like, how much is, like, it Eli's fault that, like, you're not producing well. And and Odell would be like, well, it's, like, tough to say whose fault it is and everything. I'm like, you know, like, I know I'm not getting the same targets that Antonio Brown is and Julio Jones. Blah, blah, blah. Like, how much do you like being in New York? And Odell would be like, I don't know. Like, it's uh, it gets too cold here. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, not... Good. It was very thinly veiled comments about his expectations signing his new contract versus what actually is being delivered to him in the season. You go, you watch that New Orleans game and you watch that Carolina game, uh, two games that I focused on heavily. They miss him a lot and not miss him like he's not on the field, miss him like he's open. Right. (laughs) And either the ball doesn't come to him or Eli can't hit him.
2: He's got, Eli's got the third worst Accuracy percentage, deep accuracy percentage. His ad- adjusted accuracy is twenty nine point two percent, right around Josh Allen. He is seven for twenty four on deep throws.
1: <gasps> I, where's the part where I where I'm shocked? Like I'm, in, uh, oh, what? A, oh, surprising. I'm. I'm. This is not something I expected to happen. Wow. Well, like I just. This, this is Eli. It's been bad for years, it's still happening. Uh, but regardless. We're in a situation now where one of two things can happen, right? Either one, Odell, uh, things are going to get noxious, things are going to get bad, Odell's going to be pissed. You know, they are going to be four drives into the game and he's not going to have any targets and he's going to be throwing a tantrum on the sideline and the coach is going to be trying to teach his team a lesson so he's not going to be responding. And the Giants are just going to further crumble to oblivion or, Mm. and this is why I was upset to see it. They sat down this week with Odell, and they were like, what do you want? Very expensive man who's very talented. And Odell was like 25 targets. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and then they're going to come out against the Eagles and just feed him. And that is the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> that is so bad. Because, Mike, this offense has one thing going for it. Mm. And it's – they come out in 12 personnel, which is one back, two tight ends, 25% of the time. It's a healthy amount. It's pretty high up in there uh, in the league. And they come out in those big packages – and they run heavy play action, and they draw your players into the box, and they put you in single high coverage because you gotta have single high coverage when you've got big heavy boxes. And when the Eagles are in single high, they're gonna run cover three, and they're gonna leave their corners isolated with the boundary receivers. And then Odell can run every route in the book. Right? <laughs> Odell ran uh, the Julio Bench route that Darby yeah. was getting beat on. Odell runs the comebacks that Mike Evans was killing us on. Odell ran the little the squirrel route, the chair route that you saw from Stephon Diggs. Odell runs everything. We don't have anybody right now who's playing at a level where they can handle that at
2: all. So you're saying you're concerned about every route that Odell runs. We are hoping that Eli can't hit him, which he's been so scattershot this season. But, and I hate to to say these two words, and I think everyone knows what two words I'm about to say.
1: Is one of them double?
2: And the next one is move. Yeah, the double The double move.
1: So here's 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 the thing about the double move. Like like what what's a double move? You know, when I was like nine, a double move was you're running the go route on Madden, but there was the little wiggle in the middle of it, which meant the guy was going to pause and then he was going to go right. Yeah. Like like what what when, when we talk about double moves, really, especially when it comes to things that Jalen Mills has to deal with, in my opinion, the best way to categorize it is more so under the framework of what I would call multi break route. So take, like, the Adam Thielen route early in the first quarter uh, against the Vikings where Mills got burned. That was a multi-break route. Thielen began heavily with an inside stem, which put Jalen Mills in a certain position, faked to the inside, and then came back outside. There's multiple—it's not he's coming straight down the field and then coming back or cutting for a post or cutting for an in. There are multiple steps at which the wide receiver changes direction, which forces Jalen Mills into multiple situations where he has to mirror— and that's not good. So, so just generally multi break routes like the Julio bench route. It's not not a good situation for Mills at all. That being said, we know that New York's going to go back to the bank on Sluggos, another form of the double move. It's a multi-break route where instead of just kind of giving that little head fake to the comeback or a little out and up, you hard come in for three steps on the slant and then you hit back to the fade. They killed us with that last year. They're going to go back to the well. Why wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, and that was the birth of our problems with double moves right there, that game with the New York Giants. And and what they're also going to do, and I have a post on this on Bleeding Green Nation. We talked about it yesterday. Is they're going to come out in twelve personnel? They're going to condense their set. They're going to give Odell so much room to run his routes, and we have just been shredded by play action. Now, looking at, I, I think we know the challenges that we're facing with this passing game, and we're banking on a lot on Eli right now with our with our struggling secondary. We're banking on Eli to be Eli, who that can be a lot of different things. One thing that I wanted to talk about was their running game. So. Here's the problem with the New York Giants running game. I actually think that as far as the offensive line goes, they haven't been like mind-blowingly bad in pass protection. That said, they cannot run block in unison. There is serious dysfunction there. And what it leads to, you have an elite running back, and I don't throw that word around lightly at all, but you have an elite running back like Saquon Barkley, who has a 37% success rate running the ball. That's low. That's low. yards per carry, which does not at all reflect the type of player that he is. The fact that he has to bust out three or four of these chunk plays and these 10 plays of 10 yards or more when there's nothing there and he gets the handoff. It's so frustrating to see. And just just taking off my Eagles fan cap and looking at, at it as a person who enjoys good football, watching Barkley face contact or a defender in his face, Time after time, having to wait eight or nine plays before you can discern anything about his play. And it reminds me, and Joe Mixon isn't you know, Barkley, but he's a doggone good football player. Mixon averaged 3.5 yards per carry last year, and I was ready to throw things when I watched his tape in the summer. They're getting better line play in Cincinnati this year, and oh look, Mixon is looking like a star, which isn't surprising at all if you watched Mixon, but as long as you got to get through the trash. Ben, I have that same feeling. When I watch Barkley, it's not an efficient running game. You cannot sustain drives that way. And it seems like the only drives where they're successful are the ones where Barkley pulls the rabbit out of the hat and does something crazy like a reverse spin to evade two guys that are staring him dead in the eyes as soon as he gets the balls. And it's not like he's facing loaded boxes either. There are 23 other running backs that are facing more eight plus man boxes at a higher frequency than him per next gen stats. He's only seeing them 23% of the time, and they still can't utilize him in a way that's sustainable. So what do you do? Well, you start scheming him into space, which is one area where I think they're really, really lacking. And forget the trick play from Odell beckham he threw him and it went for six. I mean, I like that call, but it's not like a staple or a consistent thing, uh, part of the offense that you can utilize. They need to move Barkley around. So, Ben, let's play a guessing game here like we like to do here on the Kiss and Solak show.
1: Oh, man, that's so funny because I was going to play a guessing game to you on this topic once we finish. Anyway, you go first.
2: We got two guessing games going up. We'll see who wins. How many snaps do you think Saquon Barkley has played in the slot this year?
1: Pat Shermer's offense? Yeah. Six.
2: Zero. Okay, I was close. (laughs) (laughs) Zero snaps. In the slot, when he was drafted at number two overall, we were sold on the idea that he was a weapon because I don't see the the, the creativity or the imagination there that we were sold on. And, and I charted how they used him as a receiver on his thirty-one receptions. Here is what I found: ninety-seven percent of those receptions came from a running back alignment. Seventy-four percent of those were checkdowns. Eighty-one percent of those were either curl, flat, or swing routes. He has one. Single, one reception from an out wide alignment. And guess what? He ran a go route, went for 21 yards. Ben, he has five, five manufactured touches in the screen game in five games. And he's made it work overall. He's got a 55% success rate when when, when he catches the ball, which is why – Tackling is going to be so important for the defenders on this Eagles defense, and they've struggled with it to come up and stop him on those checkdowns. Because while Barkley is averaging 8.8 yards per catch, he's actually averaging more yards in yards after catch with 9.3. So that tells you where they target him. And that, that, that's wild. But here's the point, Ben. Is that what you had in mind for Saquon? That usage when you evaluated his game in the pre-draft process?
1: No. I'm <laughs> close. Okay, and, but here's, here's what's important to understand about Barkley. People who had warranted gripes about Barkley, and I think you were more so on the gripe side of things than I was. I was enamored with Barkley. Um, but people who, who were, had the gripes, it was, okay, he's really good in space. Uh, he's really good when you give him a ton of room to work and he can make three guys miss in the second level. Uh, you kind of got to get him through the first level. The way Pat Shermer runs, you know, shermer has got some power backgrounds to him, Norv Turner, and a little bit like that that style of a tree. So he's like, all right, if I'm running the football, it's with a fullback and a tight in, And with a player like Barkley, you don't really want to say that's not what you should do with him because Barkley has unbelievable – talent from the so so that he could he could pull that off you know what i mean like his ability to be elusive and his power like he could be fine in any scheme but when you're transitioning him from a penn state offense that saw him and running out of you know with a five-man box most of the time right like five offensive linemen mm-hmm. nobody else and running you know like tackle dart tackle rap like he's got one puller who's going to be responsible for one dude and and then he goes where that dude doesn't go. Like, woof, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a steep transition to come into the power style scheme. Then you throw in the fact that even though Penn State didn't necessarily line him up out wide very often or put him up in the slot very often, they were constantly oriented on halfback seam routes, halfback circle routes, te- Texas angle option routes, like all the releases from the, ha- the the backfield you usually see. That's where I think that there should be the emphasis. And I will say, Mike, the Giants are fourth in the NFL right now in terms of run-pass ratio. Okay, they pass the ball the fourth highest amount of time in the league, right underneath uh, 67%, I believe it is. Yeah, uh, yeah right, 67.5%. And when you go and you look at how those passing attempts are distributed, they are at a point where uh, they're top 10 in the league in terms of running back percentage of targets with 25. And then they're also top 10 in the league in terms of how much of their passing yardage is created by running backs. And that percentage is at 22.5. So they go very heavily to the backs in the passing game. I think it's more traditional of a look than you'd like to see for a player as unique. As Saquon Barkley. So I, I think there are some redemptions there. And I've always liked Shermer, And I say that very carefully because Shermer was here and he wasn't great when he was here. Uh, I've always liked Shermer in terms of just on field what he does in terms of his designs. That's something I've always liked about Pat Shermer, And I think he's good there in terms of designing Barkley open. But he doesn't have those creative conceptions for... Man, I could just deploy him differently. I could just align him differently. So he's limited in that regard, Pat Shermer is.
2: You know, all, a, a lot of his passes coming on those swing routes, that's great. Get him into get him into space and have him miss tackles, and, and he's fantastic at that. The part of the game that's missing is the angle routes, where you're getting him into space or matched up with a linebacker or, or a safety, and you're hitting him downfield in stride and let him threaten that third level once he gets past that second level just from his route running alone. So that's what's missing for me. Barkley is still effective in the passing game. But as you alluded to, it can be much more and they can use them from different alignments. So there is good and bad there. Ben, is there anything else on the offense that you wanted to touch on before we move on to the defense? It's I hate short weeks, man, because we love to cover like everything like so like in depth and and, and nuance like we, we know the defensive line is is going to get pressure against this offensive line we know the run game is, is running defense is, is going to be solid we just can't give up the big play it's pretty straightforward play action is going to give us fits Odell's going to be wide open Eli's going to miss him sometimes he's going to hit him sometimes is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we flip it over to the defense
1: you will when when Shermer dials up shot plays He's dialing them up to force your free safety to make a choice. Mm. The Eagles free safety is a fourth round nickel corner. Uh, I don't know if you forgot that because I only say it <laughs> on every podcast. They're running Yankee. Uh, they're running split. Yep. You know They're, they're going to run levels. They're going to force your free safety to make decisions. Hasn't hurt the Eagles yet. I don't know. I don't want to predict that it will because it just feels too easy. But you, you, it's something you really got to be, be privy to. So I will say that. Also, folks – Chad Wheeler plays right tackle for the New York Giants. Let me tell you something about Chad Wheeler. Really, really bad. And he
2: really bad. He was their highest graded offensive lineman from PFF. Less, and I don't take the grade seriously, but he was their highest graded offense offensive lineman last week at a sixty four.
1: You want to know? <laughs> I, I I would bet three billion dollars. Why? They put the tight end to the right side of the formation 90% of the time.
2: 100% correct, Ben.
1: <laughs> it's just, just, you know, it's like, oh, Big V graded out well. You want to know why? Because he was literally never threatened around the edge. Cause yep. they put, and, and that, that, that'll be my final point, actually. No, I have two more final points. One final point. Evan Ingram ain't Jack. Where's
2: Ingram? Yeah. Ingram's been, isn't he, isn't he dealing with it, with an injury? It's Red Ellison and Is Red he? Ellison's been, been out. Yeah. Ingram's been, been hurt. Okay. Yeah, because I was like, when I, when I went to the tape, I was like, where the hell is Evan Ingram? So I was with right. you Right, so
1: I was thinking, like, in the same way that I don't think Shermer really knows how to creatively use Barkley, he doesn't really know how to creatively use Ingram, because Ingram's list has a tight end, but you got to use him like a wide receiver for him yeah. to be effective. Right, so there's that. And then my final note would be, listen, and this is just because this, this is a personal take. Kyle Lauletta, backup, rookie, fourth-round pick, mm-hmm. out of Richmond, mm-hmm. quarterback. Part of the reason Davis Webb got kicked out. Got cut during camp. How much longer do we deal with Eli?
2: Oh, we're on the missing
1: watch. multiple routes every game. Yeah, they lose. They lose to the, the 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 Panthers by two. They would have won that game if he hits more throws. If he didn't check down two out of every three attempts. I want to see LaLeta. I liked LaLeta. I liked him better than a fourth rounder. I'm freaking sure. He got him in the fourth. Uh, so just that's something to watch. Very uh, watch for the Giants. Little, little, little Kyle LaLeta action, maybe.
2: I like it. We are definitely on the clock for Kyle LaLeta. And a, and a quick word on Evan Ingram. He played three games, thirteen targets, ten receptions. Week one against Jacksonville, he had two catches for eighteen yards. Week two, seven, seven, and sixty-seven with a touchdown. And then it looks like he got hurt in the Houston game. So he may be back for this game. Obviously, BGN Radio is going to be recording tonight. They're going to have a more up-to-date injury report. So we're not going to go into that today. What we are going to do is flip it over to the New York Giants defense against the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Let's look at the metrics that matter here. The Giants, 11th best in third down conversions, allowing 34%. The Eagles rank 23rd at 38%. Red zone, here's what surprised me. The Giants are third in red zone defense only allowing 37% of those trips to turn into touchdowns. Meanwhile, the Eagles have faced a regression from last year in this regard, as we know, ranking 18th and converting 53%. Points per game. Giants are 19th, allowing 25.6. Eagles are 25th with a concerning 20.6. Here's And I want to go into one play that kind of sums up my main worry for this game in regard to their pressure packages on third down that the Eagles will have to deal with. And I'll, I'll give the play for those with Game Pass. And so, Ben, you can look it up as well if you want. Also, I'm going to write this play up for bleedinggreennation.com so we can all get a good look at this puppy. So this is last week against the Panthers on Sunday. Fourth quarter, scores 27-16 Panthers. There's 9:08 left in the game on the Giants' 43-yard line. This is a must-have stop for the Giants here. And as a defensive coordinator... Just like you would see with Schwartz in this situation where he's normally bringing like cover zero with a fireball stunt and all that fancy stuff that, that, that he likes to do. Jim Better's or James Betcher's going to reach in that bag of tricks and call something that he likes to keep this game alive for the Giants. Mm-hmm. So the Giants come out and we've talked about this, this look before that double three tech on the inside where they're kind of wide, right? Uh, wide outside four man front and they have Alec Ogletree over the center with Landon Collins threatening the B-gap to the right of the formation. So the Panthers are in 11 personnel. The Giants are in big dimes. So three safeties on the field with three cornerbacks. Pre-snap, this looks like man-free from the Giants. So they're going to have that deep safety. Everyone else is playing man. And then there's a 2-on-1 funnel with Landon Collins and Alec Ogletree between the running back. That's if they're not blitzing. So what happens on this play is those two three-techs run a twist. And what this does to the Panthers, with Alec Ogletree also stepping forward to threaten that center and hold him, is guard to guard. The Panthers' offensive line pinches in. Now, what does that do? Landon Collins shoots through that B gap. He's got he's got a wide area to get through that frees up space for him. So he comes clean through the B gap, and that's who Christian McCaffrey has to come across the formation to block. So think Uh about the Eagles running back pass protection when we think about this. So McCaffrey tries to cut Landon, and Landon just like leaps right over him, and boom, he's in Cam's face. Now Cam has to get rid of it. His feet aren't set where he wants to go. He's fading off of it. It's an all-arm throw. And when that man look converted to zone, Janoris Jenkins then gets to come off his man to get to his spot. So when Cam throws that crosser, Jenkins is on the outside of it, right where Cam throws it. And it's a big interception that gets the Giants back in the game. So that's an example of what you can expect from the Giants on third down from their blitz package and the stress that it puts on the running back in pass pro, who in this case, in a lot of cases for the Giants, is tasked with blocking up a guy like Landon Collins, which is no small feat. So that's something that you can expect from Betcher. Uh, ben, thoughts on that, or general thoughts on uh, on this defense? Take it where you want to go, bud.
1: And so the thing about James Betcher is that Betcher and, uh, and also Mike Patton is is guilty of this. Who's the who's the head coach of the Cleveland Browns like twenty fifteen, and now he's the uh, defensive coordinator there for Green Bay. Okay, they love to say, "Well, I've got a, I've got a a hybrid, you know, three four four three scheme, and we're gonna." Uh, We're going to two-gap sometimes, and we're going to one-gap other times, and this and the other thing. No, you don't. Uh, You (laughs) say you do because you think you're cool, but you're not. And this is why. You're pretty much always one-gapping. Sometimes you have a stand-up rusher on the outside, and sometimes his hand is in the dirt. And his name is Kareem Martin or Connor Barwin, depending on what down it is. And that's the only thing that really changes about your defense, <laughs> which is an oversimplification. But the, the the point is to say that you're going to hear a lot of buzzes about James Betcher's 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three hybrid scheme during the broadcast, especially because Chris Collinsworth is talking, and Chris Collinsworth is the worst. It's not true. That's all a lie. What you're going to see is Dalvin Tomlinson and Demont Harrison playing anywhere from 3-tech to 3-tech. Typically, you're having one of them at least as a 0-tech. Uh, and they're going to be doing primarily two-gapping responsibilities. They will one-gap at times, but primarily two-gapping responsibilities against the run. They're not really expected to generate a pass rush. Then you're going to have Kareem Martin, Connor Barwin, or Olivier Vernon, uh, two of those three, and then Carrie Wynn sometimes. Uh, they're on the outside, either stand up or hand down, usually hand down on the strong side, stand up on the weak side. They're going to have one-gap responsibilities on the outside, and they're there for pressure. That's the base on the front. It is the least- creative front four games the Eagles have seen in three weeks, which is good news because they've been struggling with those. That's that's one shoe. The other shoe to drop is that Betcher will send an insane amount of blitzes. Oh, yeah. And Betcher will send the stupidest blitzes you've ever seen. <laughs> Betcher will send blitzes that don't make any sense on the chalkboard, which is rather hard to defend because they don't make any sense. Uh and, and that one that you brought up is a great example. When we talk about running backs and pass protection, they're responsible for like every potential blitzer, you kind of want to say, which is tricky. Um, But they're typically reading from an inside to outside perspective. And so as a defensive designer, when you understand that, you know how to get that Landon Collins coming into the B gap. Well, McCaffrey had to check the A gaps for the linebacker first before hopping over to the B gap. It makes McCaffrey a little bit late to the blitz, gives your guy an extra advantage, right? And so Betcher's is going to send a ton of guys when he can get them up into the box. So what does this mean for the Eagles offense? Well, As everybody knows, I've been a really big advocate of these tighter splits and bringing the tight ends in and running out of nasty personnel. And this is very a Sean McVay style of idea where you run everything out of these tight splits and it throws off the coverage rules that you're going to see on the back end. The other side of that, the other edge of the sword, is that the more guys you bring into the formation, the more potential blitzers you introduce because you're bringing corners and nickels and safeties right to the edge, right in the offensive tackle's radar, and so now, you know, instead of there being, okay, potentially seven guys who could come. These two guys are threatening off this side. I got to watch out for them. You've got to write literally everybody, but the free safety could potentially blitz right now. Right. Like they're all close enough too. is that's 10 of them. And that's at a point where you're going to induce some panic. You're going to cause some communications issues. And that's something the Eagles offensive line can't afford right now. I do think that the Eagles offense has a huge advantage running the football in this game. This is not a good run defense. They do have Harrison and Tomlinson who do eat up space, but overall, this is not a good linebacking core. BJ Goodson, Alec Ogletree do not impress me. I do not think Olivier Vernon is as strong against the run as he used to be. I know he's, he, uh, dealing with some health issues i think he's lost some of his strength uh kareem martin i do not think is a strong run defender Kerry win is kind of good
2: i would go right after kareem martin in a lot of different ways but yeah
1: <laughs> and they, the thing is like very frequently i'm an advocate of the eagles running outside because they have an athletic advantage when they do so and i still believe that's the case but they also i think have an up the gut advantage which is interesting because who knows kind of you know uh, obviously there's no ajayi oh uh, you're probably going Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement, right? I think Clement and Adams both are better interior runners than they are outside runners. And so I would definitely see the Eagles attacking up the field, up the gut. So don't be surprised. And then, of course, inevitable false positive from the balance truthers will come. But uh, I think that running the the ball is a big advantage here just against uh, this personnel in terms of the Eagles offensive line has been run blocking out of their minds. Uh, And this is not a good front seven. Mm. And so I think you have a very clear advantage there. And so what you're going to do, even if it's a little bit out of character, you're going to sprinkle in some more really wide expanded sets. Getting uh, Getting 11 on the field, getting four wide, getting three wide, going empty a little bit. And then using your offensive line to simply outclass the defensive front four, and yeah. the defensive front seven, which I think you can do pretty easily. Uh, and then from that spread attack from those wider sets, you can, of course, run many of your concepts. The Eagles do that all the time. Like This won't be uh, incorporating new ideas or anything. I'm just kind of advocating for a different approach, I think, offensively than I have been in the past.
2: Yeah, and I think you can play better off Landon Collins that way, too, when you spread it out. If they want to bring him. It's going to be a lot more obvious if we have them spread out. They want to bring him. So that, that that's a good point, too. So, Ben. Covered offense and defense, of course, we have BGN Radio recording tonight as well. Let's get to predictions. How are we feeling about that? We're looking at an over-under of 44, and the Eagles are a three-point favorite, so that would put it at 23.5 to 20.5 is what Vegas thinks it's going to be. Are you taking the over, or is it unders?
1: I'm absolutely taking the over, 100%, yeah. because I don't think the Eagles think i road, Roto-Buckham Jr., <laughs> It's going to be fine. Um, So I think the Giants have the potential to put up points there. I think the only games that the Giants can be competitive in clearly so far over the course of the season are games that are boat races. Only games they've been competitive in are high scores. Uh, and so if they're coming in thinking they can really stick one to the Super Bowl champions, division rivals, then they're going to be looking to score a lot of points. Uh, I also think that the Eagles offense's issues are far more circumstantial and weakly and, and situational versus the Eagles defense, which are a bit more longstanding personnel scheme issues. So I, I, I envision them taking a quicker step forward on a short week than perhaps the Eagles defense could possibly think of. So I will take the over for that reason. I am still taking the Eagles to win, you know, what hasn't been a good bet the past two weeks, but I still simply think that this team is playing much better football than their record and their success would indicate. I think they can even play better football on top of that. Uh, Hopefully they're getting healthier. Also, getting more desperate. And I think desperate teams come out with big performances. And, you know, it's something that you heard from, like, uh, like Michael Bennett just saying, like, you know, players really want to win for Doug Peterson. I think there's, like, you know, this team knows if they go into a long week off with nothing to talk about but their three-game losing streak that ended with the Giants, (laughs) that's going to be a really difficult situation to handle. Uh, So there's a lot of desperation there. So I'm going to take Philadelphia against the spread. I'll go with 30-24. to Eagles.
2: I had it thirty-one twenty-four in my head, so I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm taking the over, and I'm taking a very similar score as you. They got to have it, man. They just absolutely have to have it. We talked about it on the top of the show. This is basically for me. If they do not win this game, I've said this before. This is smash the panic button. All is lost. Everyone freak out. Burn the whole don't burn the whole thing down. There was some circumstantial stuff with the team here, but you know, you know what I'm saying. So, uh, Ben. I think that covers us leading into this game. Going to be a fun one. We'll probably be recording after the game, if I'm not mistaken. So it'll be a a late night for Mm -hmm. us, and uh, we'll have your full recap. We'll see where we're at in our headspace at that point. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners before we we send them off to uh, BGN Radio for the next show.
1: Hey, gentle listeners. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to The Kissed and Solex Show here on BGN Radio. I feel like I've said this nine times in the past three days. We (laughs) have recorded a lot. Well, it's cause we love you uh, <laughs> as always I've been Benjamin Solak on twitter at Benjamin Solak that's S-O-L-A-K he's Michael Kist on twitter at Michael Kist NFL that's K-I-S-T all the written content bleedinggreennation.com everything you could possibly want and then some that you don't want all the audio content BGN radio make sure you smash that like button you subscribe you rate and you review on all the podcast apps on which you're listening to these glorious voices as Mike said BGN radio preview with a BLG may you forever rain and john stolness and the post game show which will be from mike and i will be coming to you guys immediately after the thursday victory over the giants thank you so much for listening we'll catch you later this week
2: we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly
1: hey everybody how you doing Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly,
0: the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com.
1: I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation.
0: And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead flyers writer for TheAthletic.com
1: and together we make up bsh radio one of the shows that you get at the sb nation podcast family we have a lot coming to you this year and we want you to listen to our show it is just an all flyers all the time show so much content i really hope you listen to it it is a great piece of the sb nation podcast family along with all your other favorite sports we all love hockey
2: specifically the flyers let's go the flyers the hockey team the flyers